0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in, and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome to a new week, Solar Warrior. Here we go. This is Two for Tuesday. Whether that's a Tactical Tuesday or just content from one of our many live events like SPI Podcast Lounge, this is going to be a short-form conversation, typically, with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career. And grow with us here on Suncast, as I know you will. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us again and level up your game. Remember... You can always find the resources and learn more about today's guests and recommendations in the blog at mysuncast.com. So get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. Here we go with another powerful conversation on Suncast.
1: Erica Johnson here, Managing Editor of PV Magazine, doing a takeover of Suncast Media's Podcast Lounge, sponsored by Radiant Reed, And this session is actually sponsored and brought to you by EDF. Today I am joined by Andy Wyatt, who is the Policy and Regulatory Manager at Grid Alternatives. Grid Alternatives is an organization that's very near and dear to my heart, as I used to sit on the board for them way back in the day in San Diego. And, Andy, thank you so much for joining us today at SPI. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Um, so, Andy, um, Grid Alternatives does some amazing work, really, for this entire industry and in working to bring up low-income communities and really create access to solar for all. Um, I know that the organization has really grown and expanded over the past years, uh, even since I was involved with the organization. Can you talk to me a little bit about the different territories that you guys are operating and covering in today?
2: Sure. So um, as you were kind of mentioning, grid got its start in California after the California energy crisis. And that is um, where things are still largest um, and expanding there as well. Uh, uh, Grid Co-administers the new uh, solar on multifamily affordable housing program out there and um, is continuing to um, do a lot of great work with uh, California's single-family low-income solar incentive programs as well as some other work. But you're right, it has expanded quite a bit. Um, I'm a prime example. I'm in the Mid-Atlantic office based in Washington, D.C., and they just celebrated their five-year anniversary. Ah, congratulations. Yes, very exciting. Um, There's also a Colorado office and a tribal program and an international program. And so all of those different offices are doing some really incredible things and and really different uh, things based on being tailored to the unique environments that that they're each operating in. For example, Colorado has really done um, quite a few uh, very fascinating and innovative community solar projects, working with utilities and different Colorado agencies and other partners in um, the Mid-Atlantic. We've been working very closely with the Solar for All program, which is a a program of the um, DC's Department of Energy and Environment, and that was started in 2016 with the goal of um, not just expanding DC's solar capacity, but also um, expanding the benefits of solar to 100,000 low-income households to reduce their energy bills um, by 50% on average uh, by 2032, which is very ambitious. So we've been um, heavily involved in that excellent program. And the, the tribal program has also been, again, um, innovating different ways and different financing mechanisms to uh, bring more autonomy and um, energy reliability, as well as, um, you know, those you know, really important energy savings to different tribal areas around the country in partnership with those communities.
1: Yeah, great. It's really exciting. And give me a little bit more information as to how it really works. I know that historically, Good Alternatives was really... Based, I mean, it was, start, it was started through the California Solar Initiative program and the rebates that came through SASH and MASH. Do you identify different markets that you're going to go into based on regulatory and ins- regulatory elements, or is it policy? Is it incentives? What makes you go into a new market or to develop a new a new um, customer base?
2: So policy really is crucial for um, our model to succeed and for low-income solar to succeed in general. It really does take specific efforts on the part of policymakers, um, sustained funding uh, to grow this industry and to incentivize um, companies as well as organizations like Grid to be able to um, sustainably operate and bring these benefits in a a reliable way that builds up trust in these communities. Um, So I think... You know, it, it expanded in the Mid-Atlantic again in um, light of some of the great uh, policy work that has been done there in, in setting up sustainable. Uh, long-term programs with ambitious goals that are specifically focused on low and moderate income access to renewable energy. Um, It's similar for for Colorado. There's been um, just a lot of momentum there from not just the government, but also uh, utilities and regulators to focus on making renewable energy access and renewable energy jobs more uh, equitable.
1: And so can you talk to me a little bit more about the policy design specifically Uh, Maybe historically, um, what's been most effective as far as driving forward solar energy for low-income families and households?
2: There are a number of different models that have been successful around the country that can be adapted in different markets based on the particularities of each different market. Um, California obviously is a leader and it's got the biggest and I'd say overall the most ambitious programs in this area. And um, that does leverage you know, a lot of um, funds from sort of the, the cap and trade and, and other environmental programs and redirects those uh, in a proportionate way to low-income households. And um, I think that model is somewhat analogous to in the District of Columbia, for example, where the um, Renewable Portfolio Standard Expansion Act of 2016 that started the Solar for All program really um, takes the uh, Renewable Energy Development Fund, which is associated with the Renewable Portfolio Standard, um, and uh, uses that to fund the Solar for All program uh, administered by DOEE um, using uh, different kinds of mechanisms, but often including um, sort of per kilowatt incentives or, or other types of, um, you know, requests for proposals or, or a lot of different creative ways to get different programs and um, projects out there. And we're, we're trying to expand uh, those things into uh, other areas in the mid-Atlantic from my base in Washington D.C. and around the country but we're seeing um, you know other success with in Colorado partnering with the Denver Housing Authority and um, working with them to um, develop community solar projects and also so that, that's been focused on the kind of Denver metropolitan area um, but also in Colorado on the rural side um, working with the Colorado Energy Office and their low-income community solar demonstration project uh, and that's been a partnership with some smaller utilities across Colorado and the appeal of um, having significant and really tangible and immediate um, energy burden reductions for their customers is very appealing across the board to different utilities, jurisdictions, governments, um, anyone who really wants to see more of that um, community wealth kind of retained and reinvested in the communities.
1: Great. And it seems like a lot of these um, incentives and models that are really creating the structure for low-income solar and are locally based or regionally based. You're based in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. Is there any... Any potential for some type of natu- national policies, or um, are you working towards that at Grid Alternatives to create some accessibility at a at a national scale?
2: Sure. Well, a lot of energy policy has happened at the state and local level, especially since um, you know states have so much uh, regulatory authority over their energy sure. systems. But we are, um, you know, there's a lot of work happening from uh, within the Department of Energy, for example. Their National Renewable Energy Laboratory has their own Solar for All program. It's a very common name for (laughs) programs in this space. Solar
1: for everyone. Solar for everyone. Um,
2: But they've done some incredible um, mapping and uh, to show kind of where the opportunities are for low-income solar, where the rooftops are, where the energy burdens are, where it can make the biggest difference. And they've done, um, you know, DOE has a lot of other programs that are helping get these different models out for expanding energy access. Um, there are also some some bills that are um, working their way around the Hill right now. For example, um, Senator Tammy Duckworth um, spearheaded the introduction of a bill to um, expand uh, the federal LIHEAP, or Low Income Energy Assistance Program. Uh, to expand that, but also um, of the expanded funds, direct some of that towards solar and right. to leverage that, um, which is kind of building on some some models that have been successful in Colorado again and um, some pilots in California using some of those weatherization energy efficiency funds sure. for solar. So it's, it's not a... Um, it's not a total desert at the federal level by any means sure
1: <laughs> and um, are we looking at some potential new opportunities or funding or uh, incentives and policies for energy storage as well to expand beyond you know initially it was just solar are we looking at storage and and maybe even electric vehicles? As potential uh, opportunities for low-income families as well. Absolutely, yes.
2: Um, we want that all communities to be involved in every element of the clean energy future. I think that's really important, and that is starting to happen um, in California. For example, the California Public Utilities Commission um, self-generation incentive program yeah. um, now includes an equity budget, which will provide incentives for um, kind of customer-sited energy storage in disadvantaged communities. And we're also seeing some other efforts um, centered around resilience, which a lot of communities are very interested in to promote uh, solar plus storage, um, for example, in community resilience hubs that can, um, if there's... Electricity blackouts. Uh, they can then serve to protect, you know, residents of um, senior facilities and people with medical needs who who really kind of need those sorts of services to continue. Um, we're also working uh, again with um, starting with California and their their innovation, but we are working on electric vehicle access there as well. So these are, um, you know, they. They all build on each other. We hope these models can be expanded. But vehicle electrification is going to be another really important part of our climate future. And it's, um, it should be an important part of our uh, movement towards a more equitable future as well. And I think that's um, of increasing recognition that um, just like... Um, If folks can save a lot of money from solar, if they um, get assistance getting over those cost hurdles and and financing hurdles, uh, you can save a lot with um, maintenance and and fuels with electric vehicles as
0: well.
1: Yeah, sure. Oh, it's really exciting.
0: All right, Warriors. So you know that high demand charges can ruin a good commercial solar cell, But what if you could offer your clients 30% in demand charge savings At a tenth, that's right, a tenth the cost of installing a battery. You can now do that with DemandX, a new demand charge reduction software from Extensible Energy. Check it out at extensibleenergy.com and read the three case studies on how DemandX significantly reduced demand charges and increased ROI without batteries. As a Suncast listener, you can also get a free demand charge analysis at extensibleenergy.com forward slash Suncast. What do you have to lose? Crunch the numbers and see for yourself how Extensible Energy's inexpensive DemandX software is a win win for you and your commercial solar clients. Hey, Warrior, I bet you're already aware of CPS America's dominance in CNI with over 30% market share. But did you realize that they also shipped 500 megawatts of utility scale 1500 volt inverters in 2019? Their unique design flexibility makes them the only company with the ability to eliminate DC combiners in the field. And their DC to medium voltage balance of system bundle allows for as much as 40% reduction in costs. But wait, there's more. With string inverters increasingly used in utility applications, CPS is infusing smart tech innovations to drive down costs along the value chain from DC generation to AC delivery. If you'd like to find out What other cost stack reduction CPS can bring to your C&I and utility projects? Head to mysuncast.com forward slash CPS.
1: Where do you see the next markets in the United States or uh, at the national level? Where do you see there being the opportunity for additional policies or expanded um, solar accessibility? Well, there's opportunity absolutely
2: everywhere, sure. and so there's sort of the question of who has the most room to grow, which um, you know could could be a lot of the the southeast has not focused quite as much on on these issues at a policy level, but uh, there's a lot of great work being done by um, community organizations, environmental justice organizations nationally, but but um, there as well to try to make this more of. Um, an issue that is resonating with with legislators across the board that um you know this energy transition is happening and it should be benefiting people equitably um i'd like to shout out virginia as as a place that i hope is going to really skyrocket towards a a more equitable and, and distributed energy future um there's um there were some low income solar bills passed in the last uh, legislative session, actually on a, a bipartisan basis. So those are in the process of being implemented right now. And um, who knows where, where that will take us. But there's a lot of momentum in this space for combining, uh, for, for realizing that climate and equity aren't separate issues at all. For realizing that you have to bring everyone along if we're going to get where we're going, where we need to be on, on climate and energy.
1: Sure, sure. And uh, on that note, and talking about equity, it seems to me that, you know, there's quite a few opportunities that have opened up and a lot of the, thanks in large to the great work that Grid Alternatives has done for, for low income. And then also, you know, where, what about moderate income families? How are they fitting into the equation? Are are they getting enough attention and ability to access solar?
2: That's an interesting question, and you know there's a lot of um, ways in which sometimes moderate income families can fall through the cracks if they don't fit under um, the, uh, income qualification levels, which is frequently set at 80% of area median income is a, is a frequent level. Um, but people above that level can still be living very precariously and not have the funds on hand to be able to afford, uh, upfront solar or the financing situation to be able, um, to, to get, um, affordable financing for solar. So I think that, um, you know, that, that is getting increasing recognition as well, um, We continue to focus on uh, generally the people who really have the the greatest need and who are the absolute most helped by um, these programs who have the heaviest energy burdens as a percentage of their income which can be very high in some of these communities, uh, upwards of 10% of their, their income going towards just basic you know, heating and cooling and electricity needs. Uh, but it's important, again, it's solar for all. So low and moderate income communities have particular needs and deserve particular uh, attention to make sure that um, they're being included in this, this energy transition in an equitable way. Sure, sure.
1: And beyond providing solar power installations, one great thing that Grid Alternatives has done is provide uh, on-the-job training, which really yes. also contributes to this whole conversation of equity and rising up communities and helping people that might not otherwise have the chance to get their foot in the door into the solar energy industry and potentially go down a new, a new career path. Can you talk a little bit about... The advancement and where since the organization started, I think it was two thousand nine. Quite, oh, that, that was. Uh,
2: it did its
1: first installations in two thousand four. Wow, amazing! Um, where where has the organization come to today as far as training and? Uh, working with with low low income and people that may, may not have access to to job training otherwise.
2: Thank you so much for bringing that up because it's been such a huge part of what we do and of what we think is going to be so important for enabling um, the kinds of energy transition at scale that um, you know uh, at. at The leaders here at SPI have been talking about 20% or more of the electric um, system being solar over the next decade and and other um, really great, ambitious goals like that. You need people to do that. Right. we want to make sure again that those those job opportunities and career opportunities are accessible to people in the same communities that we're we're serving so not just who the industry is serving but who the industry is does that reflect uh who our communities are so our um our workforce development programs have have definitely also grown and proliferated over the years um we try to make every rooftop a classroom basically yeah and um it, that, again, takes different forms in, in different jurisdictions based on the, the policy framework that we're operating under uh, locally to me in, in Washington, D.C., the uh, SolarWorks D.C. program, which is um, a program of the Department of Energy and Environment and the Department of Employment Services, is training D.C. residents um, through several cohorts a year of classroom and on-the-job training, um, again under the auspices of the Solar for All program. So, combining those great goals of getting um, solar to income-qualified people at no cost to them with training people from these communities, and it's a it's a real win-win. Um, and the the industry uh, is been has been really receptive to. Um, These sorts of training programs, Um, we work closely with a lot of employment partners and hiring partners who are thrilled to um, be having a a more uh, diverse uh, workforce that looks more like the communities that they're working to serve, uh, but with that baseline of experience that really can get them kind of hitting the ground running.
1: Great, and diversity. This brings you know us to the conversation of diversity and inclusion, which has over the past year become a larger topic across really the has. solar energy industry and and across the country. What, uh, if anything, is being done on a policy level, or are you doing any work in this space to um, to try and encourage more diversity and inclusion for for the industry?
2: Absolutely, we prioritize that very highly, and it's been really exciting to hear that being such a strong um, theme throughout SPI with uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion um, programming every day, and really highlighting that in even the keynotes. Um, GRID is is all in on an inclusive clean energy economy as well, um, and it's important to recognize that you know even when you control for income, uh, communities of color are not getting the same benefits from clean energy as um, other communities. And so, uh, again, it's a it's a question of intentionality and um, really recognizing what issues are there and um, it, taking deliberate steps to address them. Um, it, some of this is, is a trickier to do on a, a kind of blanket policy uh, basis but a lot of people are, are doing the work and um, we've seen some great presentations by folks like Vote Solar and um, even the U.S. Department of Energy on not just giving us the snapshot of where our industry is but real tangible concrete suggestions for um, doing initial assessments and taking steps as a, as a business, as an organization, as an industry to um, move in the right direction on inclusion and access.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've seen SIA has really taken the active leadership on this yeah. solar foundation, some great reports and opportunities for, for the industry to rise up behind this. So I think that that's really great that we're moving in this direction. Now, can you talk to me about what are the biggest challenges that you're seeing currently as far as advancing solar for low income communities? I think the, the biggest uh,
2: issue is combining the need for speed and scale with the need to make sure that um, these communities, community leaders from environmental justice organizations are at the table and having their input valued and taken seriously. Um, you know, Some people in the climate justice movement have, have said that you've got to move things at the speed of trust, but you also have to move things very fast under the, the climate timelines that we're under. Yeah. So um, that's kind of the... Uh, The thing that gives me anxiety is will we will we hit the equity and the climate fast enough and and well enough? We don't really have the the time not to take the time to include uh, everyone's voices and perspectives and expertise and creativity.
1: Yeah, sure. Sure. And as far as the opportunities that that are um, that are on the forefront for. For advancing, are there any new innovative uh, structures or policies that have come out of late that are different than what we've seen in the past that could be replicated? Yeah, there's a ton of real innovation happening. Um,
2: for example, some of these financing mechanisms working with um, you know the weatherization and energy assistance programs have. Um, I think that's getting more attention and, and rolling out. Um, you know, different partnerships with affordable housing providers, um, and, and finding ways to make their financing kind of pencil out and get the benefits through to the residents and make sure that they're getting the, the real tangible benefits. Um, there's a lot of, um, creative work happening, especially in areas where, um, you know, it you, you might not have just such a progressive, um, you know, policy environment, um, some of the work that, um, again, environmental justice, uh, community leaders are doing to, um, make this an issue that resonates broadly by, um, Bringing in all of the different resilience and energy burden reduction benefits um, and and trying to find creative ways to present those to uh, policymakers who want to see um, kind of return on investment arguments and, and things like that. Uh, there's a lot of innovation happening, and I think you've seen that around the the floor uh, on some of the panels and things at SPI and and elsewhere. Um, all levels, state, local, um, different utilities are trying lots of different uh, angles to increase the the equity of their. Um, Electricity systems, and the, at the same time that they're increasing the renewables on their electricity systems, uh, there's a, there's a lot of brain power being put here, and so I think one of the main issues is going to be, um, you know, making sure everyone is sharing the wisdom and the learning that that they're getting.
1: Sure, sure. And on that note, we're we're here at SPI. Uh, the industry has advanced so much since since I've been in it, and certainly since Grid Alternatives has been around. Now, how does How does the industry, how does everyone that's here really level up and rise behind this to ensure that we're working forward and getting solar access to all as as commonly coined?
2: Sure. Um there's a few things that I'd really want po- people to, to take away from this as, as action items. Um, one is just being intentional in in kind of companies and policymakers' own um, program designs and operations, you know, taking some of these model provisions and um, Vote Solar and Solar Foundation recommendations on equity and diversity yeah. and operationalizing them, you know, make it part of your continuous improvement processes. These are things that can be measurable and address Yeah. Um, Second, get involved in policy, get involved in trade associations, get involved directly with contract contacting representatives. get those voices of people in communities who are benefiting from um, renewable energy savings, uh, get their voices in the conversation. And, um, you know, it, it, policy is for everyone. I would say that. I'm a policy person. But I strongly <laughs> strongly believe that, um, you know, it, people have more power than they recognize to, to change things. And um, the solar industry is in such a strong position with the enormous growth that it has, the enormous employment opportunities that it has, the enormous, um, uh, range of ways that it can improve equity and be leveraged as a tool for equity and climate um, mitigation and adaptation all at the same
1: time. And um, yeah, sure. It, we and can we're really such power. a policy driven, excuse me for coming yeah. up, uh, we're such a policy driven industry too. I mean, the, way, yes. the amount of growth that we've received, it's, it's so true. I think all of us really walk as as yes, le- leading. Policy. Defend the ITC yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
2: but also, it would be wonderful if the ITC could be made uh, refundable. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll work on that. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, great. Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining me here today uh, at the SunCast Media Podcast Lounge. I am Erica Johnson, managing editor at PV Magazine, where we have done a takeover, uh, and it's been great. We're seeing so much excitement, and movement, and traction. Moving towards a more um, equal, equal uh, solar diversity. So, thank you so much again, and thank you.
0: All right, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors. But I do hope that you'll check out the other two for Tuesday episodes, and let me know what you think of these shorter format discussions. You want more like this? You can find more than 200 episodes, resources, highlights from the discussions, along with social media links to each guest episode, book recommendations, and so much more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with the Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly emails or even joining the exclusive inner circle we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. A special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Follow the links there. For any offers we've discussed here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.